Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Father John here with my good friend Nathan Goble. It's a uh, 10.30 on a Saturday night. Here we are. Yep. And uh, we this have one how of the, we spend our weekends. It is. It's the freaking weekend, Nathan. It's a deacon weekend, it's baby. A, I'm about to have me some fun. <laughs> Uh, first, a shout-out of the podcast going to R. Kelly, of course. <laughs> well, uh, as not. always. Maybe not. Well, today's uh, topic is um, an exciting one, right? This is one of those topics that I've wanted to do for a long time, and I've wanted to do it well, and uh, it's not going to be well done tonight. That's all. You know, that's the first thing to say. The topic is beer, of course. It's going to be medium rare, not well done. Beer, it's not going to be well done. Uh, beer and um the Catholic Church, the saints, the patron saints of beer, and a little bit on Nathan Goble and beer. Really? So uh, we have a Coors Banquet in our hands here. Catholic stuff uh, promotes the banquet beer. This is our camping beer mm-hmm. and uh, podcasting beer of choice, of course. Now, um, there was almost a beer in production by the name of Gobale. That's right. I created a beer uh, named after my friend Nathan Goble, and uh, it was called Gobale. And do you remember the uh, title that I was going to sell it by? Uh, full of body, stronger than you'd like. Full of body and stronger than you'd like. Go bail. But it never hit the production line, unfortunately. Too bad. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask my friend Garrett Dean to help us create Go Bail. But uh, if there's any brewers listening, you know, any home brewers. There you go. We'd love to have some Go Bail. But remember, it's got to be full of body and stronger than you'd like. That's the, that's the defining characteristic. A stout ale. A stout ale. So, Nathan... Let's yes. start with a little history on beer itself, or ale, as we should say. Okay. When do you think uh, is the oldest um, kind of historical record we have of beer? Mead from the Egyptians. Okay. What century? Take uh, a guess. After you foolishly embarrassed me last week on my poor Filipino Viennese yeah, reference. That was great. Uh, 1500 BC. 5000. 5,000 BC? BC? Fifth millennium BC. We have record of, this is like, beer is one of the oldest beverages humans have produced. It's crazy. I mean, let's not forget the fact that it was pretty impressive that I got mead from the Egyptians. That was impressive. Thank you. As almost any cereal containing certain sugars can undergo spontaneous fermentation due to wild yeast in the air, Hmm. it's possible that beer-like beverages independently were created six millennia, seven millennia ago. Crazy. Is that why Rice Krispies pop? (laughs) We don't know. That's a mystery to reveal in the deeper thing. So Mesopotamia, uh, modern-day Iran is kind of where this is. Uh, our oldest records are from, but Egypt as well. And uh, so we're talking millennium before the Catholic uh, there you go. church comes around, right? But uh, Europe, it takes a very unique form. It takes a very, very specific thing. And we have kind of uh, we've had a relationship with beer uh, the whole way through. The first of the patron saints I want to talk about today is uh, they claim St. Luke, the apostle. Really? I have no basis for that Our whatsoever. beloved physician. The beloved physician. I have no idea why him. St. Nicholas is another one. Remember who punched Arius? Yes. They haven't listened to that one. That was St. Nick. Supposedly, he's another patron of beer. But the two guys that are really big are the two St. Arnold's. Those are the famous ones. Arnold's. Arnold. Now, in Houston, Texas, you have St. Arnold's Brewing Company. Good. They have some good beers. And in Colorado, we have microbreweries and craft breweries popping up all over the place. Yep. 13 new breweries next year in Denver. Can you believe that? Sounds good to me. And uh, last night, I was at Avery Brewery here in Boulder, Colorado. 
And I love their beer called The Reverend. Go figure. Yep. Right? And I have to deal with the stupid comments from the guy behind the counter every time. I order The Reverend in the Roman collar. They think that is just the funniest thing on the planet. So so they have this thing called the Holy Trinity of Beers. They have Hog Heaven, The Reverend, and Salvation. Those are the three at Avery. All three excellent beers. Uh-huh. And up at New Belgium Brewery, they recognize and appreciate St. Arnold. So they keep appropriating these kind of funny spiritual things around beer. And I think that's what's interesting. Sure. But we'll come back to that in a little bit. First, I want to tell you about this two St. Arnold's. But before that, St. Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas, who was the patron of which people? The uh, Czech people. The Czech people. Right? That's of right. Of whom I am. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to see him, but he was, you know, I saw his church. You did. You saw his church. Is he well, in Prague? Where he's buried, yeah. Praha. Praha. Not to be confused with Blaha. That's right. So my another, family. Another Czech. My surname is Nepal, which means what? You say it means does not drink. That's what it means. Do you have actually a... If we have a Czech listener who's fluent in Czech, please email Or in. Polish. I've had this confirmed by Czechs and okay. Poles. I just want to know. Nay, does not. That's the negation. And pills. Okay. Pills. Nay, pills. Nay, pills. Does not drink. Now, here's what's interesting. And this is this is a little Nepal family lore for you. I have no content today, so we're just going to talk about my family. My brother claims... Because our family hails from Pilsen, Czech Republic, the place where the Pilsner beer was created. Yes. Check that out. Which is probably what Coors is. Something like that. And um, his theory is that Nepal, a surname, would have been given by the Romans when they took over whatever time. And the Czech people took last names as kind of a joke. So we're thinking the brewer was probably the one who took the name Nepils, doesn't drink. Everybody thought that was funny. So a couple more logical steps, and therefore, the Nepal family created the Pilsner beer. That's basically what we're looking you at. Sh- you deserve royalties. I think so. So St. Wenceslas is the Czech brewing saint. Okay. Right? Because he imposed the death penalty on all those who stole hops. Whoa. Can you believe that? So it's kind of a stretch. But people recognize him as the uh, patron saint of Czech beer, the finest in the world, Pilsner Urquell. Whatever it might be. You're probably, you're probably, which is Blaha's favorite beer. Oh, so man. Come full this circle. is Father Nick Blaha, who doesn't listen to the podcast. He's so cool. He's way too cool to listen to this podcast. But regardless of that, we always make fun of our priest friends who really would never listen. Father Brian Larkin, Father Josh Clifton. Blaha does listen. He's wrote in multiple times that we got stuff wrong. That is true. And he'll have many things to talk about today. So have you heard of either of these St. Arnold's? No. Okay. Let's start with our friend, St. Arnold of Metz. Okay. Metz is uh, in Germany, right? Yes. Where the Goebbels are probably home from. Yeah. He's also known as Arnuf, just in case you're wondering. Or need a new name for your dog. His feast day is July 18th. So these are real Catholic saints. And uh, he was born in the year 582 and died in 640. He was a bishop, all right, patron saint of brewers, often held with a um, rake in his hand. I'm not sure why a rake. He's depicted with that. This is kind of the time of Pippin. And so basically, the story of brew, of uh, beer in the Catholic Church begins when it goes north, right? Because people are drinking beer where they can't drink wine. Yes. Right? There's no grapes. It's not Italians like yourself. Nathan's got Italian blood in him. And, excuse me, Deacon Goebel mm-hmm. has Italian blood yes. in him. But in the, in the lands where yeah. wine could not be produced, beer was created. And, and so when the Catholic Church goes north, right, Charlemagne... 800, this is the time when beer starts to kind of come to the rise, and it starts to be produced for a number of different reasons. The first of which is, you could probably guess... Fasting. And? 
Enjoyment. <laughs> Keep guessing. Uh, health reasons. Health reasons is right. Oh. Safer to drink beer than it was to drink the water. Oh, yeah. Why? Definitely. Because you're boiling the water, right? right? You're killing off all the pathogens or whatever that might be, right? So they're drinking beer in Northern Europe all over the place. But um, our friend St. Arnold or Arnouf is the first, and there's this story. There's several legends about him, but I want to read one from here. This is the legend of the beer mug. Are you ready for this? The Stein. The, the Bierstein. Stein. The Bierstein. It was July of the year 642 and very hot when the parishioners of Metz went to Riemermont, something like that, sorry, it was in France, to recover the remains of their former bishop. They had little to drink and the terrain was inhospitable. At the point when the exhausted procession was about to leave, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that French word, one of the parishioners, Duke Noto, prayed, by his powerful intercession, the blessed Arnold will bring us what we lack. This is the body that they're bringing back, right? He has died. Immediately, the small remnant of beer at the bottom of the pot multiplied in such amounts that the pilgrims' thirst was quenched, and they had enjoyment for the next evening when they arrived. St. Gatorade. St. Gatorade, right? St. Arnold of Metz, 640, good man. His famous line, don't drink water, drink beer. Excellent. Next, St. Arnold. St. Arnold of... Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Sosson, something like that. Sosson. Fast forward 500 years. This is a guy who was... This is, he's born in Flanders, right? Modern-day Belgium, 1040, and uh, dies in 1087. Short life. Not too long. Bishop held with a mash rake in his hand, right? This is like the most famous, I think, of all of them. Okay. And again, this is another Arnold or Arnoul or something like that. He's born in um, in France, but then kind of becomes uh, the bishop and heads an abbey um, in Belgium. Now, he's starting to, uh, at the abbey, begins to brew beer and do all these different things. But again, he's the one who's really kind of um, focusing and um, getting all of these things to go. Now, here's the interesting thing about Arnold is his life is really amazing. And there's all these different miracles and everything. And there's nothing it really has to do with beer, except for the fact that they brewed beer at these monasteries. And I think of all the different places in Europe, Belgium and Flanders based from Mm. the foundation here of uh, St. Arnold is where kind of the brewery starts to kind of take place. And so it spreads from Flanders. It's in Germany. It's in Metz. um, It's in the Czech Republic. It goes into England. They say St. Thomas Beckett is their patron for English brewers. So if you're, English in your brewing beer. He's your man. But basically, Belgium is the center of everything. And the majority of kind of the emerging, I don't know, craft beers, and this is where I'm getting out of my league, but so much of it is focused around the Belgian style. Belgian style, yeah. Which is a very unique flavor. I don't know if you're a, a fan of that. Trippel and uh, what's the other one called? Chimay. Yeah. So all of these are monasteries. They're all Trappist monasteries. So from the time of St. Arnold in the 11th century, I mean, this is a, a millennium ago. This is crazy. The Trappists kind of become the forerunners and the guys who are uh, brewing beer. And it mm-hmm. becomes kind of more and more famous and it kind of becomes a cultural thing. In the Middle Ages, primarily it's for health reasons. It wasn't just something of kind of a high class. Everybody was drinking beer all the time with most meals, right? And it did help with fasting as well. Speaking of which, on fast days, how does how does beer work for us? Mm. Nathan's getting sleepy. Sorry about that. Well, I mean, my guess is... If you were actually fasting on beer, like you're, like the monks would. I mean, the monks would eat a little bit of bread, um, but then on fast days, I think they were given like this thick Belgian style ale that had plenty of unfermented 
wheat in it, that would be like drinking, you know, a loaf of bread. So on fast days, I mean, my guess is if it's a Friday of Lent, I'm sure you're fine. Uh, but if it's like Good Friday or Ash Wednesday, hold off on the beer. I think that's true. But I don't know. What would the, I mean, do the Italians withhold wine on, um, on like fast days or something? I mean, it's, it's part of, you know, instead of like purple stuff, soda, Sunny D, they're like, <laughs> they're like purple stuff. Oh, Pinot Grigio or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I actually don't. I don't know what to say. At what point is the caloric intake of something constituted as food? You know what huh. I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The density of it is interesting. But the main point of all of this is to say, not to tell you about St. Arnold's and to talk about um, the glory of Catholic drinking in the Middle Ages, which we're all about, right? But it's to say, what's happening now in our world, right? Why are people brewing beer but they're looking for kind of the spiritual components beneath it why are why are they reverencing i mean they have a statue of saint arnold in new belgium brewery right but this is certainly not about veneration or worship and they have a sense the holy trinity veils at at avery brewery right this is the interesting question that i have for today Mm. this is not that particularly profound you know giving you about the history of beer and these different guys who are patrons but the question is why is it emerging so intensely and then why are they looking for kind of to unpack something spiritually? They hate the Catholic Church, but they want to reconnect to it. That's what's interesting about it. Right. Thoughts on that? Well, the uh, the Catholics certainly weren't the ones leading the charge for the uh, prohibition movement, from what I understand. That is true. Um, so, and we've kind of, we've gotten away from the hip thing to drink is like, you know, cocktails I mean, maybe at some places they're still, you know, like, you know, the fancier clubs or something. They're drinking Red Bull and whatever crap <laughs> they're putting in it. Um, but now, like, people have actually realized, wait, beer isn't just something that you have to have a brewery for. Uh, you can have, you know, these these casks or whatever that thing's called, like that big glass tube um, that they can ferment their alcohol in. And, and like, it's remarkably simple, you know? Um I mean, maybe it's the same thing like you were saying is, you know, around around our area, Colorado and uh, uh, the Midwest and instead of on the coastal regions where you have more grapes and they can produce wine more easily then uh, maybe now, you know, people are realizing, wait, we have grain and we have fresh water um, and you can get all these things relatively easily. So, but the spiritual component, I mean, come on, I mean, people have, you know, sacred heart you know pictures outside their dry cleaning shops but i don't know if they're necessarily um devotional um people put jesus fish on their car but they still bounce checks so um i don't know i mean it's just kind of cool i mean i guess the buddhists don't have patron saints of of alcohol so yeah i think it's um well, I think it's several things. The world is changing so quickly. We look back and we're like, yeah, you know, Catholics used to drink beer. And, and sometimes that's actually very helpful. You know, I'll be out and in the collar or having a beer at somewhere and get these smart, smart-ass remarks from people like, um, oh, you know, what are you doing with that in your hand? And I'm like, we invented this stuff, <laughs> which is not true because it actually goes back to Mesopotamia, yeah. fifth millennium. But, hey. Drink bourbon. Drink, we, we'd invented that. We did invent bourbon. And um, I think the point is to say – that alcohol, right, 
And and a lot of people enjoy it when we're having a beer on this podcast. But some people are very scandalized by that. And we get emails all the time from all over the place about, you know, you guys are just like drunks basically, which, you know, if all you do is listen to the podcast, you think all these guys do is right. sit around and talk into microphones and drink beer and drink bourbon. But there's something healthy and good about a glass of wine, about a beer. There's that famous line from G.K. Chesterton where he says, um, in Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross have no contradiction. Hmm. And there's something to that, that to embrace the life of Christ, does that mean to reject the good things of the world? I'll never forget my first year in seminary when my spiritual director said to me, I was asking him questions about whatever, he said, all good things in moderation. Great, great spiritual principle. All good things in moderation. When I use these things in moderation... They contribute to well-being. They contribute to um, all kinds of things. You know, Thomas has that great line, how far should you drink to, to the point of hilarity. Hilarity. De hilaritate, right? That's how far you should drink to. You should not be getting drunk. Right. And here's another line from Chesterton. No animal has ever invented anything as bad as drunkenness, nor as good as a drink. And that's his little kind of typical Chestertonian kind of paradoxical style. But drunkenness is really evil. It's awful. And we don't ever want to kind of condone that. Um, It's extremely destructive. I see it kind of all around me on the hill here living in Boulder, Colorado. It's crazy and horrible, and it leads to just deeper and deeper things. And there's something about it, though. There's something that's happening beneath that. On the spiritual level, we have these substances that can kind of affect us and change us, and and they can alleviate me of anxieties, put put me at peace, kind of depress me a little bit, whatever it might be, you know, alter my mood. And that that's just digging a little deeper into the spiritual level. See, because I think that they think it's really profound and kind of cool to have the statue, to name it after, something spiritual. But there is a sense of these substances, they do contribute something different to my life. Mm-hmm. And by using them, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to kind of live for something deeper. I'm actually trying to go for the deeper questions here by living that. I think that's what's going on. But uh, again, yeah, it's not to be condoned um, when it gets into excess. Was there was there wine in the Garden of Eden? That is, a I good mean, point. I don't, uh, did they have enough time to vintage grapes? Considering they screwed up pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, were there were there substances in in uh, in Eden that that enabled people? I mean, Adam and Eve to to enjoy the fruits of the earth, um, and. To, it says that you know in the scriptures that you know God God made wine to cheer man's heart, you know when God talks about uh, in Isaiah and then Christ uses the same analogy, uh, it's always it's always a uh, vineyard. Mm-hmm. God God plants a vineyard. He doesn't plant a cornfield. I mean, it's some in some of them he talks about him going out, but it's a vineyard. What do you do, what do you do with vineyards? You're not making grape jam, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and when you know Christ confects wine. For you know the for for Cana, confects is an awkward word, but you know changes the the water into wine, and then also he's called a glutton and a drunkard uh, by those who would who would you know question his behavior. I mean, he enjoyed the fruits of the earth, but I think that the important thing that you're pointing to in Boulder um, is that that the substance becomes the center, and not persons become the center. We enjoy community through persons. I don't commune with alcohol. Uh, it's it should be it should be an aid, but it shouldn't become the center of my activity. Um, and so I've been at parties before where there's a lot of alcohol, right. and we have a great time. And by the end of the night, I mean we're feeling pretty good. 
but I'm feeling pretty good because I've been in conversations with people and you're laughing and telling stories and just and and enjoying a foretaste and a promise of what we hope heaven is going to be like. And then I've been at parties where it's like, dude, we just picked up three cases of Natty Ice. This is going to be crazy. And like, hey, man, we got to finish this pony cake. And it's like, why? And it's like, because that's what you do, you know? And then and then it just becomes about drinking and how much you can drink. And, um, I mean, certainly got Noah into trouble. Um, definitely. I don't want you doing anything like that right now as we finish this podcast. <laughs> Can I reveal your your shame? The uh... no, it's interesting though. It's about I think that is the criteria for substances. And I was actually I just did a theology on tap up in uh, Fort Collins on marijuana, the old topic, uh, at which the whole we could do a whole another podcast. The Acapulco Gold for our listener land, <laughs> purple haze. The uh, but one of the things I was saying was okay, even if this is. Um, legal and it could be used in moderation hypothetically everything is fine another point of criteria is does this substance contribute to a deepened form of relationship yep does it lead to a deeper communion and that is the question a flourishing yeah to a flourishing of of my humanity and of to communion because there is something um thomas has that great line i i don't i could find it if someone wants to but um he says you know that it's permissible to drink to the point of hilarity for the alleviation of melancholy. Is that interesting? He also says that baths are good for melancholy. So I do love that, too. That's hilarious. Don't, mel- just, don't just go to Northern Lights. So Father Brian Larkin takes more baths. That's what we're saying. <laughs> for you melancholics, those of you who listen to the uh, podcast on the Four Temperaments. Yeah, for the alleviation of, of the sorrows and the pain of this life. And um, the retreat master of our last week, we were on uh, all the priests were up on retreat. And he said, uh, he said, do you ever think about laughter? He said, Thomas... for." Thomas always makes a point that laughter is a uniquely human reality, right? Squirrels outside who are getting into my trash can, they can't laugh. There is no such thing as laughter. And there's something about this beer that I'm holding in my hands right now Hmm. that in many ways helps me, in in a small way, get back to the deeper things, which is this relationship right here, the guy that I'm looking with, and that as I am known by you, and that I know you, and that there's a reception in friendship, that it frees me to recover a sense of joy and a sense of laughter. And that's not in contradiction with the sorrow and the pain and the suffering of this life, but there's a, there is something that it contributes to. Yeah. And that we're always directed back to the real things of this life. And if we try to seek escape in those other things, whether it's entertainment or greed or power or anything like that, those can be just as intoxicating as, you know, the spirits. It is true. Wine, whiskey, and, and song. Um, and dancing, um, but uh, I mean the 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 substances that we enjoy rightfully should actually point us back into there will still be crosses, there will still be uh, deeper joys than than the next beer or the next like craft brew or something. Um, but it should be really a I think a foretaste of the of the alleviation from the pain and the you know difficulties that we have in this life but if we're just seeking the alleviation and not actually encountering them head on i mean christ refused wine that's an important aspect too yeah i mean on the cross when they offered him wine drugged um so that you know come on man take some of the edge off you refused it yeah absolutely not that's true and i think to come full circle back to the question after that kind of non-historical nonsense about beer and these saints is that what are they seeking for there is something to this on a deeper level, right? This beer does contribute something right. to the deeper questions of my life. 
and maybe God gave us this for the alleviation of melancholy hmm. in due moderation, in due proportion, not to take away the cross from us in some kind of hedonistic reduction, but to in fact give us a deeper experience of communion and friendship that will then strengthen me uh, to embrace the cross of my life more completely. I think that's what this is about. And I think that's why we drink and don't even realize it. And as a final note, I think that the, um, as Catholics, we've got to be real careful to be too reactionary to the world. We see excess, and so we go to the opposite extreme. All right, And that's what happens with a lot, of, a lot of Catholics, but a lot of non-Catholics as well. I mean, it's just like alcohol is evil. It causes only evil things. Well, it's really not. Evil is in the hearts of men, right? Gluttony is evil. Drunkenness is evil. Yeah. But this is not, right? Pete Coors is a good man, and he created a good beer. And so to him we drink tonight. Slancha. Slancha. All right, catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>